0: Hi, this is Beth AQ, and this is the podcast of the Glasshouse, a weekly radio show that airs on Triple R each Wednesday. The Glasshouse is a space for spoken word artists, poets, sound makers, audio storytellers, emerging cultural leaders, thinkers, writers, and anyone who celebrates story as a means of self-expression, self-representation, and community building. I hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch via Twitter at Bethany AQ or the Triple R website. Uh, I begin by acknowledging that we broadcast on the stolen, unceded lands of the Rwandri people of the Kulin Nation, who have cared for this land since time immemorial. I acknowledge First Nations people as the first storytellers of this land, and people that are part of one of the oldest living cultures in the world, I pay respects to Elders past and present. It always was, and it always will be, Aboriginal land. I am so excited to be sharing the mic with some really incredible people today. I'll be joined by a living legend, uh, songwriter, musician, poet, social justice advocate, uh, the list goes on, Gunditjmara man and Bunjalung man, Uncle Archie Roach. Um, his memoir, Tell Me Why, The Story of My Life and My Music, won the Victorian Premier's Literary Award for Indigenous Writing. So I'm very excited to be speaking with him all about his brilliant memoir, And later on in the show, I'll be joined by a local writer, poet, astrologer, Angelita Biscotti to chat about their upcoming workshop with Writers Victoria. It's called Eroticism and Provocation in Poetry. I hope you can stay with me. Now, my first guest uh, is a man that needs absolutely no introduction, but I'll give you one anyway. Uh, From being taken as a child to struggles with health, to finding the love of his life both in music and in his life partner, Uncle Archie Roach is known by so many for his tireless work in social justice advocacy for Indigenous people and, of course, through his gift of songwriting and music. In 2019, he did release his memoir, Tell Me Why, The Story of My Life and My Music, alongside an accompanying album. To celebrate the great work of his writing and artistry, he won the Victorian Premier's Literary Award for Indigenous Writing. Uh, it is a deep honour to be joined on the line by Bunjalung and Gunditjmara man, Uncle Archie Roach. Thank you so much for your time this afternoon.
1: Nah, that's good, all good, uh, Beth, yeah.
0: Um, Uncle Archie, I'd love to start by talking about your memoir. It is a really deeply moving account of your life. How did you find that experience of, of writing down your life's journey? I
1: oh, know at first it was a bit daunting. I think because it's uh, it's different than writing a song. Uh, you know, where you got you know uh, instruments and and, uh, and and music to sort of buffer whatever it is you're you're doing with the song. Mm. And so you know, so just standing starkly there on the page, it was a bit, a little, little confronting you know, in that sense. But but it, it, it turned out to be really good. You know, a lot of it that I didn't, stuff I didn't talk about. Yeah, you know, some things I really didn't talk about. Uh, I haven't talked about uh, from stage or in my conscience I was able to, I was able to uh, talk about in that book. Yeah. Mm. So it was, yeah, it was, it was a great experience.
2: Yeah.
0: And, and so many points during your book, you really talk about music as this anchor and kind of as a way of moving through, you know, not only difficult times, but as a way of finding love and falling back in love. And, you know, your life has really been punctuated through the music that you've played from kind of learning music from the church at a really young age to, yeah. you know, playing covers of Willie Nelson and Charlie Pryor to, you know, it becoming something to help you recover from um, alcoholism. Did, did you yeah. Did you always know that, I suppose how significant music would be in your life.
1: Oh look, it's it's, it's, it's always been it's been a constant. It's always been something that I've I've loved ever since I first you know I started listening to uh, to music at uh, like the radio, but then um, LPs and singles that I bought myself as a kid. You know, you're talking about you know the old forty fives back in the day. And, uh, and uh, it's always been. A, you know, I've always just loved uh, music, and uh, but I, I didn't. I didn't think of it as being, you know, um, that uh, instrumental. I suppose, including uh, creating excuse of pun, <laughs> but being, uh, it being so. You know, it's much part of my life. And, a uh, part of my healing, but but that's the, the way that's the way it, it was, and that's how it, how it is for me. How it uh, uh, got me through, uh, yeah. Was, along with a lot of a lot of good people, of course, around me as well.
0: Mm. There's a really um, beautiful line in your book where you're kind of talking about your, your early life where you spent a lot of time with your brothers in Fitzroy and Collingwood and you kind of wrote yeah. that, that playing music, you saw pain lift from your brother's face and you wondered if music might be more powerful than the drink, um, just really powerful writing there. H- how helpful do you feel like music was in a, a tool for your recovery and, and, and healing?
1: Oh, I very very much, you know. I mean I, like like you said, I I sit down you know, my brothers uh a, a, a especially my older brother, Johnny Horse, he'd he say sing as a song art and I'd pick up the guitar and sing him, you know. He he was a big man, a big he was a hard man, you know, he didn't he didn't talk much. He was a hard man he brought up brought up hard, you know, he got put on a flight, he became what was known as a pug bug of uh, Fitzroy or wherever he was, the fellows to look out for, or the fans to become their friend rather than the enemy. And uh, but when I play the song, you just see that, I and mean, like you said, his face change and uh, and like uh, he, he took back and get so much just just serenity and peace in his face and eyes. And, and oh, excuse me, just thinking about it make me feel emotional. Uh, but yeah, yeah, so. It, it, then it became so much as a part of my, my own healing as well. You know, just to, to be able to sing a song, uh, uh, start writing a song, sing about certain things in my life rather than, than keep them in or, 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 or express them negatively like I did in my drinking days. And I've been jailed and getting into fights and all sorts of trouble, uh, becoming homeless, whereas uh, music became that, that rock that I could... Uh, um, yeah, steady myself.
0: Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and there's another part in the book that um, was really visceral that really stood out to me when you spoke about uh, the protests that went on in the on, on Invasion Day in 1988, and you know the day that that marks the bicentenary of the arrival of the first f- fleet, and you know there were a lot yeah. of disagreements going on about how to best approach, I suppose, the, the march and the rally, and you got up and you and you played took the children away, Um, and you you kind of write about that that's one of the moments where you really connected with so many other Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and you kind of connected with them and and you you learnt that people had similar stories. Do do you feel like that was, I suppose, one of the first times where you really saw how impactful and healing your your music was?
1: Um, Yeah, although I suppose... Not fully realizing that, but that mm. realizing that hang on. And there's something something about this so I, people hey, yeah, people arguing and each other almost come to blows, you know. Mm. I said, This is no good haven't sang a song and uh, and after I finished singing it and you looked around it it, it, it was you could have did up the silent. It was almost ghostly silent, you know? Mm. And uh, pe- people the men that were arguing, you know, with each other, they they, they, they both had their heads down and, and I just had their heads down. You can see their soul this evening and and I thought, gosh. I said, uh no. certainly diffused the situation but but it's like um I suppose, you know, uh people talk about it. I've never talked about it much, being taken away as kids or, or being passed on in or the family or that but to hear it in the song, I and mean, it was just a, I suppose, a different different way mm. uh, of expressing that. And uh, people, you know, you know, I, I you know, I, I realised that probably not, not not just my own, that that, that song, so you be to be sing it, but the, the, just just the power of music in general, the her healing quality that music can can uh, well uh, does possess, can possess and. And uh, affect people in, in, in that way. Uh, I realised then. I think that uh, music certainly was a place to go when you, when you, when you, uh, I suppose, when you needed to. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It really feels like that song communicated so much at perhaps a time when a lot of it wasn't being spoken about, and it just, you know, thirty years later, the song still feels so incredibly relevant and. I was just watching your um, performance at the at the Aria's where you were singing that, um, and your sister and your niece got up and and handed you your you know your award into the induction of the Hall of Fame and I just oh, yeah, yeah. I was just sitting there crying and I just it's such a it's such a powerful song and it's just really stood the test of time.
1: Yeah, It's one of those songs that uh, you know I suppose. Uh, it just—it's—it's um, it's, it's, it, that's a big part of my hearing That song, is, as I say, when I sing this song, I, I always say from the from from, from the stage, you know. To, I always say, you know, it's, you know it's just, people ask me, do I ever get sick of singing that song? And I say no, because every time I sing it, I let a little bit of the pain and the hurt go, mm. and that's what music enables me to do. And uh, one day I'll be singing it. And it'll all, it all just go, and I'm going to be free.
0: Does it feel different singing it now than I suppose when you kind of first got up and, and sung it 30 years ago?
1: Yeah, I think yeah, a lot of the old songs, like the old songs I revisited recently, uh, that we recorded the songs uh, at my kitchen table, but it they, they've. It's like um, they've grown with me these songs, and, and that song in particular has grown with me, and matured with me, and uh, become more uh, a spiritual. That song for me, and, and uh, yeah, uh, so it's in that sense, it, it's 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 not different. It's just just uh, well, I think wiser
0: that mm. song. Yeah. I think it's a spiritual song for a lot of people and I think you've yeah I mean your music has touched a lot of people where just that song is just incredibly uh yeah just it always hits home um, I'd love to ask you a little bit about, uh, another great love in your life that you really, um, talk so fondly of in the book The you know, the blue dressed brown eyed girl, Ruby, um, and you know, what an incredible love you both shared uh, both personally, but also as great musical collaborators. Can you tell me a little bit about what it was like to not only share your, your personal love, but also that kind of musical love and life with her?
1: Oh, look, it was, it was uh, you know, it was, we, were, uh, we were good friends more than anything. We started off as good friends and uh, became good friends, and it just blossomed from there into love. But uh, I think uh, once I started playing music and becoming known, uh, Ruby got the courage to, to you know, feel it. As I loved singing and put a few ta- chords on the guitar. and, she always loved singing songs. You know, country is very strong. You know, it was, it was music that was around a lot, especially around um, my people, about you know First Nation people. Uh, but um then started, you know, once 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 I you know, started writing songs and did chuck on the album and then she began to write then and uh, so it was you know I was it was. It was, we were more or less sounding boards for each other. I'd write a song and I'd sing her a song, sing her that particular song and she'd she, she, you know, get thumbs-ups and that's a good one, and that,
2: mm. and
1: that's a good song. And, uh, and so that's the way it was, and she'd she, she, she sing a song, she'd just written it, and i go, and I'd just get flabbergasted because, you know, she... Because, yeah you, you know, these are things that, you find out, I don't know how she felt about me, you know, writing songs, but I was just uh, blown away by some of the songs she wrote, and, and still am today. You know, when I think of them and, and listen listen to them again, and uh, realise that wow, what a what a what a great you know sort of like insight into things and what, what she wrote about and sang about, and uh, and, and so yeah, we it was, it, it, in a sense that was the collaboration I think that we had just to support each other and telling each other. Just saying, Well, that, that's a good song. Hardly ever we uh, hardly ever I don't think ever at all they put our thumbs down on any of the songs that we both wrote. Mm. So that was the collaboration. Not that we wrote so much together, but you could say it was in the sense that she was the very first to hear my songs and I was the very first to hear her songs, yeah. Mm.
0: Yeah, it's really beautiful the way that you supported each other. Like, I loved reading about how, you know, you might have taught her a few things on the guitar, but how much you learnt from the way that she performed and, and how at ease she was when she got on the stage. And you kind of talk about being a, a bit shyer when you first kind of started out. And yeah, just learning a lot from the way that she was able to be at ease in front of a, a crowd.
1: Yeah, yeah. She just had this, you know, I just thought, wow. And I, 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 I learned from that that I said, well, I've got to be a little, little bit more. I uh, uh, you know. Just be yourself. You know, more than anything, don't try to be. You know, what do you think? I think uh, uh, i A performer it is. It's. Uh, yeah, don't don't put on a performance or put on a show. Just be yourself, and that's what she, I suppose that's what I should have written in the book. But that's what I meant. You know, just get up and be yourself and that that's who she was. Mm. You know, the, the 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 you know, the way she dressed and her cheekiness and everything. It was just her, you know. She was no different off stage, as on you know, as she was on stage and I realised that, she taught me that like, don't you know, don't don't be some don't try to be somebody, else, just be yourself.
0: Mm. Yeah, it's an amazing lesson to to learn, and I, I definitely feel like that came across the way that you wrote about her um, in your book. You know, Archie, you, you've had an absolutely incredible music career. You have an incredible music career. You've you know toured the world, um, toured with the likes of Tracy Chapman, Black Arm Band, uh, toured in remote um, Aboriginal communities up north. You yeah. know, there's, there's so many experiences that you've had. What kind of are some of the moments that stand out when you, when you look back on your, on your musical career?
1: Well, I like so many. I uh, playing, opening for Dylan at the stage theatre in Sydney. Mm-hmm. Didn't get a chance to meet him, but just open for him was enough. And he came down, he's made brought him down there to listen to the sing. And I took the children away. And he, so he's in the wings when I sang that song, even though I miss, missed him. Ah, uh, that was a highlight. Uh, but like, I said, what performed with Tracy Chapman. and I suppose, yeah, you know, uh, you know um, Paul Simon come to our place and spending two days with us in the community, and just come to our house. Uh, and the next day, spending out in the community with Paul Simon, we come over doing the um, the Great Fans tour. Mm. Yeah. That was that was yeah, anyway, that was pretty amazing. Uh, so many, you know, I got to grab them all off, but there's you know, so many highlights, um, you know, travelling over the first time, travelling overseas, I think, Yeah, you know, getting the chance to do that, so, yeah, I, I feel blessed, actually, that i was able to do that. Yeah,
0: yeah absolutely, it's a... A pretty incredible life that you've um, that you've you've led and uh, are leading. I'd I'd love to learn a little bit more about. I, I suppose learning a little bit more about where you came from. You know, throughout your life, you you learn about um, being Gunditjmara through your mother and Bunjalung on your father's side. And, and there's a point in the book where you write about learning parts of the Bundjalung language and kind of discovering that there's, there wasn't translation for certain words like the English word for death. And you kind of talk about in Bundjalung culture, they always talk about how the spirit is, is always living. Um, I'd love to know, yeah. like, how did learning parts of your, your family's languages and your language help you or change the way that you thought about your culture?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, language is, is so different, especially from English, it's, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's like what talk about, you know, I mean, they, In in there's no word for hunt or, or death, because you know, there's no word that implies killing mm. something for food, and I thought, well, that's amazing, so, so what would, would it be? He said, well, it's looking, looking for food, and, uh, you know, and getting, getting food, that, Nothing to really imply killing that particular food, or what you, what you what you what you, what you consider food? Mm. And I thought, well, that's pretty amazing. And he said, yeah, well, there's no way for death because the old people didn't actually believe that death was was, was an uncommon thing. And uh, in the dream, stories of the animals, and that when one of the, I think, it was. The, crow or bird or magpie that, that that died and, and, and all the animals couldn't make sense of it what's going on and uh, but realized that the spirit w- was always there mm. and so so nothing really ever ever dies it just it just um it just shifts or just goes uh, to another place yeah
0: mm. It's a pretty amazing thing to to think about, and uh, yeah, was that hard yeah, to like yeah. reconceptualize? Re- if if you'd, I suppose, thought differently before that, it
1: actually wasn't hard. Mm. I don't know why it made, made sense. I think when you when you you know like yeah, it's like when I first uh, in two thousand I, I did a show with Dangara dance Theater, and uh, mm. I, I had to dance and uh, and. Uh, um, um one of the lads there was saying, he said, Yeah she's pulling up the other dad and says, Look, look how much he's doing it. He's doing it right. So just just see what's hard. He goes, I'm going, What you're kidding? And they said, No, nah, it's like you, you know, it's like you've done this uh, all your life I said, Well, I haven't. Mm-hmm. It's the first time I tried this was of And They said well, it was just something once you know, so something that's there, always there in you, you know, and like learning about language and things like the concept of death and mm. and spirit, it was it was the concept or that or that um, that doctrine was always in in you, mm. and it's just it's just hearing about it again when you realise, yeah, that it's that that's about right, that sounds right. Yeah. Mm.
0: yeah, absolutely. It's um, it runs deep, I think. Yeah.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, Archie, alongside your memoir, you released an album as well with the great Paul Grabowski. Um, what was the experience like of making the album and the memoir alongside each other?
1: It was just great, great to be able to, you know, just reinterpret and do these songs uh, again. And uh, alongside, you know, being part of the the, 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 the memoir as well, it was just... Uh, and i don't know it just seemed uh, to be the seem to do mm. you know i did the memoir and you got an album as well with it and with the title track tell me why i am with as well
0: mm. yeah yeah it's pretty amazing i um i actually listened to your memoir and i loved that at the start of each chapter there was you know part of every song that the chapter was about and I, yeah it's just a beautiful way to present and and kind of hear your work
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. It's good to be
0: able to do that. Um, Uncle Archie Roach, thank you so much for your time this afternoon. It's been a real pleasure chatting to you. Well,
1: Thank
0: you, thank you. That is, of course, uh, Uncle Archie Roach, their living legend. I just wanted to read what Archie wrote in his memoir about this song right at the end uh, and he kind of spoke about it just before. Such a such a deep honor to chat with Uncle Archie Roach. He says, "People ask me if I ever get sick of singing my song Took the Children Away, and I tell them it's my healing song. And through songs I've been able to deal with the pain and trauma in a more positive way, and every time I sing it, I let a little bit of the hurt and trauma go. I tell them that one day I'll be singing it and one and it will all go and I'll be free." Powerful. Words. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organization in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos and interviews, head to the Triple R website at rrr.org.au. How do we write about sex, desire and longing? How can we write the skid marks of loss, shame and surrender out of our heart and into poetry? But widely published writer, poet and astrologer Angelita Biscotti presents Eroticism and Provocation in Poetry as part of Writers Victoria Season 1 Workshop Series. Angelita joins me on the line now. Thanks so much for your time. Hey Beth, happy to be here. Um, Angelita, I'd love to, I suppose, start by just chatting a little bit about your work. Most of your writing and art centers around queer love and romance, polyamory, mental health. Can you tell me a little bit about your work and, and what you've been working on lately? Oh,
2: yes, gladly. So um, these past five or so years, I've, so much of my writing has been arts and culture journalism. I've had the pleasure of interviewing um, queer, people of color, doing so many exciting things. And um, I've had a chance to also listen to a lot of stories from people in the community who reached out to me and who I've become friends with through the work that I've done. And through these conversations, I realized how necessary it is to explore eroticism away from wiseness, away from the patriarchal gaze. Because we're all interested in sex and love and lust and longing and hurt and jealousy. And these are all things that we feel at some point during our lives. And yet we don't we're not always visible in the movies and songs and Books and poetry about these topics. Mm-hmm. So um, when writers Victoria approached me um, with this with, with idea for this course, I had so many like feelings about it. And so I'm so excited to get into it. And I've just been spending the past several weeks uh, putting together um, the the material for this. So and just going back to your question about. Um, What what I've been working on lately. So, lately, I've been taking a bit of a step back from the journalism and focusing more on my personal work. I've got some exciting things coming out that at the moment I can't really disclose, but they are really, really exciting and they are along these things. So, yeah, watch the space.
0: You have a really interesting arts practice, you kind of you work as a photographer, you're also an astrologer. I'd love to know a little bit, before we talk a bit more about the workshop, how those kind of um, uh, artistic expressions inform the, the writing and, and the work that you're talking about.
2: Yes, of course, gladly. So the photography work really emerged from working as a professional nude model since um, late 2016. And I got into it because I really needed money and didn't have stable work. As you know, being a creative, the income is always seasonal and not being qualified for essentially benefits as well. So very much questions of economic justice informed the kind of work that I've ended up doing. And when I say that I worked as a professional nude model, I mean, for you know, visual artists and painters and that sort of thing, and community art groups, TAFE and universities and high schools, and also for doing one on one work with photographers. So and and I had and during this work I often found myself not always necessarily seeing eye to eye with the kinds of um images that people sometimes approached me the thing that they wanted to create with me and and so being and i taught myself photography because i wanted to make the kinds of images that i wanted to see in the world Mm -hmm. the kinds of images that featured bodies similar to mine and stories that were similar to mine and visions of beauty and, and body positivity and sex positivity that were more resonant with my own experience and um this is really like lovely quote by Augur Lord I believe I'm going to grab it right here very soon if I didn't define myself for myself I would be crunched into other people's fantasies for me and internal life mm-hmm. and this is something that's Motivated me to take charge of my learning and the way I'm presented um, visually because I really did feel that, especially during the earlier days of my modeling, that I would just be crunched into how other people thought a curvy body should be, how other people thought an Asian body should be under the white gaze. So these are the things that inform my practice. And astrology, I came into astrology. Well, I started like really getting serious about it like late twenty nineteen but then I really got got stuck into it during the Covid months because suddenly there really was modeling work, there was no photography work. I lost all my contracts with unis and things, and not all of the not not all of them paid me for the work that I had committed to do. so what was there to do but study, right read, learn get good at things and people were asking me to do readings for them they were at very um heavy and emotional turning points in their lives and so that's how I got that's how my practice started
0: Mm. really that's I love that um and I just wanted to say on talking about your um, professional nude modeling it seems like such a powerful way to claim autonomy over those visual aesthetics in you know particularly when we're often so oversaturated and in such visual mediums that it yeah it just seems like a really powerful act to kind of take control over the ways that certain sexuality is portrayed and, and race is portrayed and yeah I think that's I think that's really amazing how do you feel like that kind of plays into the the writing that you do in in terms of writing about about bodies and about lust and desire and love
2: I find now, the, like, I find my writing being very much informed by the visual. And it, I don't think this would have happened if I had never gotten into nude modeling, if I'd never tried photography or drawing or any kind of visual practice. Mm. I think in, I've always been drawn to the visual because um, when I was very young, like many people, I was very much into anime and manga and beautiful, lush, visual, figurative storytelling. And I probably my first experience with erotica was like many erotic fan fiction, mm. and I also started, got started in erotica writing, erotic fan fiction. So, so I think, but I think after being in, so in spaces like universities and having so many chats with different kinds of photographers and looking at different kinds of visual media, paint like paintings and contemporary painting, contemporary art, and things like that. Like, I feel like now when I write, I'm really imagining the details of the scene. And, and for my course, I'm planning – there's a very, like, visual element to it, like I'm organizing, like, video, like, bits of video and, and paintings, other people's paintings, but those that are easy to find on the Internet, but most people in Australia are probably not always. There's so much – beautiful erotic art being done now that I feel it's not really noticed in in number directly because whenever I share pictures I find that my friends are not really following these artists on Instagram or not aware of where these pictures are from so we have so we're going to have moments in the course where I'll put up an image and I'll be asking people so what's happening here and we're going to like really look and analyze the image and hopefully these are prompts and provocations for people's own writing and storytelling mm-hmm.
0: to see visual these visual um, interventions. Yeah, that sounds like a really interesting approach. I I, I think you know what holds people back often from um, writing about sexuality or being sexual or expressing their sexuality is often you know can often be shame. I'm interested to know your thoughts on how you can kind of encourage people to to write through that.
2: Yes, thank you. And I, and I 100%, 100% agree with you. Um, so with, um, so in the course, I really want to make it a space that feels safe, safe for sharing, safe, safe to write. Um, and obviously people will be coming wanting to write individually, but I also want to make people feel like they have questions, ask about it, and that's why. Well, first of all, it's really important for me that the course be restricted mm-hmm. to what people Gender non-conforming writers, um, because well, I was going to say this in the course, but I almost never got into poetry and erotic art because one of the very first spoken words event, spoken word events, sorry, that I've been to in Melbourne had this. It was an erotic poetry um event in Rumswick, and there was this um, shall we say middle-aged white guy. It sounds like a stereotype, but some people really. Our stereotypes. Like sometimes I feel, <laughs> yes. and it's doing this thing where he was just talking about this um, this Balinese sex worker and his time with her, and it felt really awkward because I was the only Asian person mm. um, in the room, and, and and he was. Well, I didn't really feel like he was talking about me, or or that I even looked like this person. Like pro- probably not. But just this feeling of knowing that we all of us exist within cultures and within context and within other people's words. Um, it's it's a it's a big weight upon me. Mm. And one of the core assumptions I put, like it's a slide I'm looking at my slides right now and one of the core assumptions is this is white patriarchy ruins sex for everybody. And we're going to get to have a chat to share a little bit about how it's ruined sex or sexuality or sexual expression mm-hmm. for us, sort of thing that at the start, by being able to just do a little bit, just a little bit of sharing, so I don't want, this, of course, to go about trauma, I want it to be about liberation but sometimes if we have a similar mm-hmm. starting point we get to be, you know aware of each other's boundaries and how to share safely mm-hmm. also feel a lot more like chill out with each other, like we are all here together to learn together to write together, to find freedom and breath together.
0: Mm. Yeah, I love that. And I think what you said, it's, it's, it is is the the parameters around consent and, and safety in these spaces are obviously so incredibly important and it sounds like that is just at the forefront of, of what you're thinking about and doing, which I think is is so excellent. And, yeah, as you said, having the course reserved for women and gender and sex non-conforming riders, it feels incredibly important to the work that you're doing I, I suppose ultimately what what would you hope um you know if anyone's listening in there what you know maybe nervous about coming along what mm-hmm. would you um i suppose say to people that are uh yeah maybe nervous about talking about sex or writing about sex or being in these spaces like how can how would you encourage people i think what i would
2: say is sex is so weird <laughs> And I think it's weird for everyone, and it's funny, and it can be silly. And sometimes I think of sex as like a performance, like comedy in a way sometimes. <laughs> because when you're reading, or when, okay, I can't say you that. When I read a sex scene, and I'm not looking to read a sex scene, but it just pops, you know, in front of my eyes, because that's the kind of person I am. And it's, I'm not in the mood or trying to get in the mood. it's friggin' funny. It's like just the way the words are like are, are funny and it doesn't matter if it's like a romance novel or poetry or some or or like an award winning piece of literature. It's funny. Sex writing is funny. And that's and that's I think where I would start. Like mm-hmm. it's okay to notice the funniness of it. And sometimes we put so much pressure on ourselves as sexual beings and you know, just being in a world that seems so sex positive, but where there are also so many expectations to to be sexual in a certain way and how some ways are more acceptable than not. And so I just wanna first say just sex is weird. That's okay. Sex is funny. It's okay. And we don't always like I don't know if there'll ever be the perfect words for an experience that makes us wordless. Mm. So we're all fumbling together and figuring out how to how to talk about these things together. And it's okay to, I guess, I don't want to say make mistakes, but sometimes we make mistakes and it's okay to grow through. Mm. And the best approach, I think, is humility before our own growth, because we're always growing, always evolving, we're always learning in sex and in love and in writing and in life. Mm. So it's, so it's okay and if anyone has questions, more specific questions, I wouldn't mind people reaching out to me on my website or Twitter or Instagram if they wanted to have a chat to me to check if the course is right for them.
0: Amazing. Um, Angelita, it sounds like a really incredible course that you've put together. Um, thank you so much for your time and for, for talking to me about your work this afternoon. I really appreciate it. No worries, Beth Thank you so much for having me. Uh, such a pleasure. We were just chatting there with uh, writer, poet, astrologer, photographer Angelita Biscotti uh, about their upcoming workshop with Writers Week: Eroticism and Provocation in Poetry. Hey, I do want to say a massive thank you to my guest this afternoon. Um, oh, chatting to the Uncle Archie Roach was just an absolute deep joy and honour. Um, I highly recommend um, picking up his memoir, Tell Me Why, The Story of My Life and Music. It is... Yeah, it's It's a very powerful and moving uh, memoir and just feels like a very important read for uh, all people in that occupy this country, uh, just to learn about the history of, you know, what it means for a person to be stolen from their family at such a young age. Yeah, highly recommend. Um, big congrats to Archie as well for winning the Victorian Premier's Literary Award for Indigenous writing, so incredibly well-deserved. Also, of course, a massive thank you to Angelita Biscotti, talking all about her upcoming workshop with Writers Vic. Again, you can jump on Writers Vic website um, or their website AngelitaBiscotti.squarespace.com. Thanks for staying with me. Come Until then, enjoy the sunshine. This is Beth AQ. Thanks for listening to the podcast of the Glass House, a weekly radio show that airs on Triple R each Wednesday. We hope you enjoyed the podcast, and feel free to get in touch via Twitter at Bethany AQ or the Triple R website.